Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. With recreational cannabis, but mere days away from legalization, we know that there's going to be a little bit of a disconnect between workers and employers in the workplace. Hendrik Steenkamp from ADP Canada, he's going to join us on the show a little later on to explain it. But first, we want to talk about BIV Smart Cities panel on October 18th at the Vancouver Club. You can join us for discussion on the competitive opportunities and challenges for businesses as our cities evolve toward a more dynamic, connected, and optimally managed infrastructure. But first, we're going to speak to Roger Lister and Paula Bain from the Global Credit Rating Agency, DBRS. We're going to talk about BC's outlook. Finally, one last note, BIV's Business Excellence Series. It hits the Vancouver Club November 8th. And our expert panel will talk specifics on strategic wealth management at each stage and each level. It's going to aim to arm you with a game plan to build up your personal prosperity. You can go to BIV.com slash events for more details. But now here's the DBRS team. Joining us today from DBRS, we're going to speak to Roger Lister. He's Managing Director and Chief Credit Officer. He was on the show about a year ago, and we're glad to have him back. We're also welcoming onto the show Paula Blaine. Uh, He is Vice President of Public Finance over at DBRS. Roger and Paul, thanks for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Tyler. Obviously, we're here on the West Coast, and I think if we want to pick the brains of the guys from DBRS, let's talk a little bit about maybe household indebtedness to a certain degree. I I think this is something that we have all the right ingredients going on for something that could be a bit of a challenge for us residents here. But uh, uh, Roger, I'll I'll throw it over to you. I, I mean, if we look at low interest rates, high house prices... What are we looking at with regards to indebtedness here on the West Coast at this point? Well, one of the interesting developments uh, for Canada as a whole is that the ratio of uh, dis- debt to disposable income for households appears to be peaking. And this looks like it's the continuation uh, of a trend that households have been benefiting from uh, rising income, uh, lower interest rates, and expectations about rising house prices. But recently, house prices have appeared to be dropping and interest rates are rising and households appear to be getting more cautious. And I mean, you guys are based in Ontario and I think you guys can definitely relate to uh, a white hot real estate market. The big difference though, I would say that a lot of the consistent complaints are are just with regards to salaries here on the West Coast. Maybe they're not going to be as high as we find in central Canada. Is this you know a, a particular concern with regards to our indebtedness here on uh, BC at this point? No, I think it's a matter of how fast income is growing. And as Mm. long as income keeps growing, that's going to help uh, in terms of affordability. Uh, Certainly, it is a challenge, um, but the rate of growth of of the area continues to be uh, fairly strong. Um, And unfortunately, space is limited, uh, which makes it a challenge for for people who are entering the housing market and just starting uh, to afford housing. And I think that's a consistent thing that we hear of, especially in Vancouver proper, where you've got mountains, we've got ocean, there's only so much we can build. So I think a lot of people, and we've got municipal elections going on right now, so I, I think a lot of them are taking aim at what maybe municipalities can do with regards to zoning. So it's going to be an interesting uh, next uh, five days, six days, as we get the uh, mayoral uh, campaigns get going here. But from a broader perspective, Paul, I'm curious what BC is looking like with regards to its credit outlook. 
So among the provinces, BC is the strongest in Canada. Um, the next closest are probably Alberta and Saskatchewan, and obviously they're facing fairly profound challenges right now. So BC's credit has always been strong. Um, there's been a shift in government, obviously, and that's changed the trajectory a bit. But broadly, no one no one is concerned about BC. Yeah, and one of the things that it is interesting, though, is we have some major infrastructure projects. If we're looking at, say, Site C Dam, that raised some eyebrows with regards to the government's decision to move forward with that. We also have, say, Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion and there's a big disconnect between what Alberta wants and what BC wants. But I'm wondering if this is going to have any potential impact further down the road or are we in kind of wait and see mode right now with regards to our province's credit rating? I... So it's a great question. Um, I, I don't think it's a wait and see. I think right now we're in a period of stability in BC. Mm-hmm. Longer term, there's probably more upside to downside for BC's credit profile. Um, no one's expecting it to weaken further. I think when we saw the shift in government, there was obviously some shift on policy, um, particularly on views around Site C and so forth. But um, going forward, we might have seen debt falling more quickly, debt ratios falling more quickly with the Liberals. Now it seems to be stabilizing with the NDP. They're, they're still projecting for balanced budgets or modest surpluses going forward. So it's really not so much a downside risk. It's more, you know, how quickly is their upside potential? And and I think stability is one of the key components here. I wonder how much do you take into account the fact that a lot of speculation is right now that we are a minority government at this point, and we could be going forward to another election sooner rather than later. Does this have any impact on with, with regards to how we consider stability for a credit rating? So for BC, it's not really a concern. Um, so I guess the, the possible outcomes is, you know, we, we see a return to an NDP majority or perhaps the Liberals come back. But either case, the, the outlook doesn't differ that significantly. Um, there's, you know, at the margins, there's differences, but both governments have really pursued uh, balanced budgets, modest surpluses, debt affordability. The economy is doing well as a backdrop. So there isn't there there isn't the same concern around stabi- political stability in this province as, as you might find elsewhere. Okay. I'm also thinking, I had an interview a few months ago with uh, Daryl White over at BMO. I was asking him a lot about maybe their mortgage portfolios uh, here in British Columbia specifically. And, and I wonder from your perspective, uh, Roger, how are the big banks doing right now? Uh, Daryl White, for the record, said that he's very confident with mortgage portfolio uh, in BC. And I, I think that's what our readers and listeners are particularly curious about with regards to our own relationship with the big banks, but how are they doing right now overall, not necessarily just from the BC point of view, but from Canada, uh, the wider perspective here? Well, the basic income continues to grow at the banks. Um, They're benefiting from uh, expansion of assets, uh, generally good performance on the delinquency side across uh, both uh, mortgages, consumer credit, and uh, business credit. So the outlook uh, continues to be pretty good. Rising interest rates are clearly um, posing a challenge in terms of the adjustment, uh, but uh, yields are adjusting upwards just as the cost of funds are adjusting upwards. So net interest margin remains flat. It's been down considerably you know, over the last 10 years, but signs now that uh, it might pick up. So that's probably also good for the banks. I'm wondering if, and I'll throw this question to both you, Roger and Paul, but with regards to BC's, I guess, future going forward, because uh, we've actually been doing pretty well the past few years. I, I think Alberta had a big slowdown following the 2014 oil shock, and BC kind of took up the reins as one of the top performing provinces, if not the top performing provinces here. 
but we are looking towards more of a slowdown. How overall would you guys look at BC's outlook moving forward, especially with regards to other provinces across the country? So the outlook for BC is probably still among the strongest in Canada. Um, I think across provinces, everyone's expecting for some moderation and growth going forward. Um, many provinces are probably at or, or exceeding full capacity. Uh, so that's a challenge right now. So the expectation is for moderation across the board. That being said, BC has seen strong momentum. We're seeing a shift in growth away from probably that housing-led growth to more uh, in business investment-led growth. And things like the LNG Canada will certainly give it a bump as well. So I think I think we all expect a bit of moderation after those strong past years, but it's... Um, but it's not not a significant moderation. It's you know more at the margins, really. You know, we were speaking to two economists from the Business Council of British Columbia a few months back, and they had a new report that revealed that more than one third of our economy is tied to the real estate sector somehow. And you mentioned that maybe we are moving away from some of that housing-centered growth going forward. Is that important, especially when we consider how much the economy here is tied to one particular sector, just for getting that diversity in the overall you know, broader picture of an economy? I think it's important for, for a number of reasons. Um, there's certainly the div- aspect of diversification, but probably more fundamentally, many industries in Canada, not just in BC, elsewhere as well, are near full capacity and businesses need to start investing to increase capacity um, to, to, to spur further growth in the out years. Excellent. Uh, before we leave you guys uh, off here, uh, Roger, I'm just wondering, what is your overall take on, I, I guess, the uh, overall fundamentals of Canada's credit system right now. How is Canada performing as an economy with regards to other jurisdictions across the globe right now? Well, I'd say the Canadian banking system is in in very good shape. I think we've taken one of the risks off the table, which was significant trade disruptions. I think there's probably some risk still in disruptions in the emerging markets. Uh, The U.S. economy is doing well. That's usually good for Canadian banks, particularly those that have operations in the U.S. Um, There's certainly, to follow on Paul's comment, there's been a shift within the banking uh, loan portfolios. There's more commercial loans, slower growth of mortgages. That suggests more uh, development on the investment side. So that's also probably good. Excellent. Well, Paul, Roger, I want to thank both of you guys for joining us on the program today. Thanks very much, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. That's Roger Lister, Managing Director and Chief Credit Officer at DBRS, and Paul LeBain. He is Vice President of Public Finance at DBRS. Stay with us. Hendrik Steenkamp from ADP Canada. He's going to talk to us about the disconnect between workers and employers regarding cannabis in the workplace. Joining us now is Hendrik Steenkamp, Director of HR Advisory at ADP Canada. Hendrik, thanks for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I know this is probably going to be the topic of conversation for most workplaces this week, but I'm wondering if there's a bit of a disconnect going on between employers and workers with regards to cannabis in the workplace. ADP Canada, you guys commissioned a new survey Tell us a little bit with regards to what we're finding out uh, about this kind of disconnect that I think is going on right now. Indeed, as to your your point, we definitely saw through the survey we did that there is a a disconnect, not just between employers and employees, but also between managers and their employees. And a disconnect with regards to whether cannabis will be legalized in that specific place of work, and if it is legalized, where can we consume the cannabis? Uh, a disconnect between understanding the policies of the organization. Does it govern today in a way that it includes cannabis or will cannabis be excluded? 
all the policies be updated to reflect, uh, you know, the new legislation around cannabis. Those were some of the disconnects that we had identified through the Ipsos survey we had done. Well, what is your sense with regards to how companies are developing policies for this? Do you get a sense that companies are being transparent with their employees, that they're making it very clear what the expectations are? Or maybe do a lot of companies, have they not just quite thought it through at this point yet, that they're taking more of a wait and see approach? I think it's a mixed bag. You know, when we look at some of the results we got from the survey, I think some of the organizations are further along with implementing revised policies or new policies to deal with cannabis in the workplace effective on Wednesday. And some some companies are really lagging. They are waking up now and they want to address it. Um, And that is, I think, adding to some of the confusion with, um, you know, what we find with in, in this from the survey with the uh, employees and the managers with regards to can we or can we not consume cannabis at the workplace? Well, that's just it. What happens if, I guess, employees treat cannabis in the workplace like they would other legal substances? I'll, I'll give you an example here. If you're at a company and you have salespeople, I, I'm sure companies won't bat an eye if their sales reps go have a beer or two beers with a client at lunch. I don't think that's going to be a big deal, but I, I'm just wondering if expectations are going to be different with regards to cannabis and maybe what employers and managers should be doing to really relay those expectations towards employees? I think it's it's very much uh, speaks to the, the, the existing policies that are in place at the organizations. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would think that organizations would adjust the policies to include um, specifics around the use of cannabis at the workplace. Because when you look at policies that deal with substance abuse, it is very clear on, you know, being impaired at the place of work. And I don't see how organizations would not treat cannabis in the same way. If I can look at what we have done at ADP, that's exactly the approach we have with with cannabis at the workplace. Uh, and our existing policy was augmented to include cannabis as one of those uh, substances that cannot be consumed at the place of work at all. Well, what should HR managers be aware of moving forward? I mean, how do they approach cannabis in the workplace like other substances? Is there a need for any, I guess, adjustment or would they just treat it like any other substance use in the workplace going forward? I think it depends on the organization. I think that from an HR perspective, I think it's very much you need to be aware of the policy for sure uh, because you're part of the, the, the group that creates the policies with the legal organization potentially. Um, I think you need to be aware of, uh, you know, how well was it communicated to the organization? Are leaders aware of the policy? Are they interpreting the policy in a correct way? I think HR should be ready to support leaders with interpretation of policies and making sure that they understand exactly what can and cannot be uh, done and make sure that leaders, right, and not HR's responsibility, but I think they can help leaders frame it up with the uh, the employee base as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, there's going to be a lot of question marks surrounding the introduction of legalized recreational cannabis into the marketplace come Wednesday. And I, I, I am skeptical that it's going to turn into some sort of madhouse, at least here in Vancouver. I think most employers are, are kind of very familiar with what's going to be happening and, and going on. But do you think that, that it's very likely that 
I don't know if there are issues arising in the workplace just because there is a little bit of murkiness surrounding this if some companies haven't been completely you know forthright with what the policies are i don't know would, would grace periods be you know kind of the right way to approach this how should a company kind of approach these issues that could be popping up in the next few weeks or few months yeah so that's a good question i think if i look at the, the survey we had done um you know as much as few as six percent of employees across the, the group that we surveyed indicated that they are under the belief or understanding that they can consume cannabis at the workplace. So, so we know there's a small percentage of folks that will potentially consume cannabis at the workplace. I think that, you know, leaders need to be aware of, uh, you know, these individuals in their teams, uh, you know, if they see a behavior change, I think it is then, you know, having those conversations with these employees like you would do in any other instance and then take the mitigation, put mitigation strategies in place to deal with that. Will organizations be ready right off the bat on Wednesday to deal with it? Should there be more people consuming cannabis than what they expected? No, I think there will be some organizations that will you know, see a difference in behavior. Uh, the survey also points that the respondents that we targeted actually indicated that they anticipate, you know, uh, absenteeism to potentially go up. We see a drop in quality of output or even productivity. So I think organizations to some extent or lesser extent is already aware that this may be happening start on Wednesday. It's just, you know, how are they going to mitigate this starting Wednesday to back to your comment to get them to a point where they can deal with this on a, on a more regular basis? Maybe I'll venture to maybe push you in, into making a, a subjective, a completely subjective uh, insight on this. But do you think those are valid concerns with regards to you know lower expectations for productivity? Or, or my suspicion is it's really just going to be kind of same old, same old for the vast majority of organizations, though. But I can understand why some organizations might want to, I guess, temper expectations, at least in the short term. Uh, I think it's more to the latter, is to temper expectations. Um, you know, I, I'm not the expert, so I cannot really disclose, you know, <laughs> whether there will be a difference starting on Wednesday or not. I think it depends on from one, one organization to the other, and it depends on how well they have enforced existing policies and um, guidelines on substance abuse. If they've overlooked it in the past, you know, are they going to have a, a closer look to this one? I don't know. I can't answer that. Well, the other thing that I'm curious about is what is going to be the proper way for companies and organizations to really make clear what the policies are? Will, I don't know, a mass email suffice in most cases? Or do you think that they're going to maybe want to do maybe a sit-down session with employees, make sure it's very clear what expectations are moving forward? Or does it really depend on the respective organizations? If you're operating heavy machinery every single day, Maybe it is time for maybe one of those sit down uh, versus just a an email that would go out in the middle of the morning. That's a very good question. I think it's a mixed bag of all of the things you noted. I think that organizations by now should have amended their policies and have communicated to the associates or the employees rather of the organization. 
that, you know, be aware as cannabis becomes, uh, recreational cannabis becomes legalized on October the 17th, these are the policies and organization that you need to be aware of. Uh, take a look, read about it. I think that at this point, a senior leadership in the organization should have had conversations, whether one-on-ones or via email with, with employees to, uh, to, to raise uh, awareness as well. And then I think lastly, it is the managers, right? So managers at this point should sit down with employees and have those one-on-one conversations because as we look at the survey results, one of the biggest disconnects is between managers and employees, and it stems from the fact that managers are not sitting down with employees and having these conversations, very transparent conversations around what we are expecting from you as an employee in the place of work. Well, it's going to be an interesting next few months. I I would love to pick your brain maybe six months from now and see what we found out from kind of that HR perspective, just as this has, uh, you know, hit uh, the Canadian market, it's going to be fascinating to watch and see. But Hendrik, for now, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. That's Hendrik Steenkamp. He is Director of HR Advisory at ADP Canada. That's it for BIV Today. Thank you for listening. You can find our archives on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also find our news stories at BIV.com. We'll be back next time. <laughs>